The second thing we've seen in this chapter is that there is community. Paul and uh, Saul and Barnabas are actually sent by the church in Antioch, and believers are praying for them. They, they've sent them. In fact, they encounter uh, John Mark on the way, and, and it shows how God uses community. And so the question is, do I go alone? And the answer is no. You go in community as part of a community. In fact, there is no such thing as an individual Christian. doesn't exist. We exist only in community. And then thirdly, there is change. This is a funny little thing that happens in this Acts chapter 13. Uh, in verse 9, Luke writes, Then Saul, who was also called Paul. Do you see that little flip there? Uh, and in this moment, he's no longer Saul. Uh, he's Paul throughout the rest of the gospel. Or the, yeah, the message of Acts. And it, it could mean that he had two names. It could mean the new name represented uh, the new reality. In any case, we have to celebrate. We have to know that there is a change in the life of Saul. In fact, there is a change in the life of every follower of Jesus. And so when you ask the question, what will happen to my life when I live on mission with Christ? The answer is, you will change. You cannot be the same. And then finally, we'll look really at this this morning. There is a response. Whenever you go on mission with Christ and you live on mission with Christ, there will be and is a response. So let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 13. Uh, I'll read verses 44 through 52 in Acts chapter 13. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples will were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so in this short passage, we see the kind of response you get when you begin to share the message of Jesus. In fact, the, the whole book of Acts shows us that there is no such thing as a neutral response to Jesus. You can't. There, there's no way. It, you either, the gospel demands, it demands repentance and faith in Jesus. The people who wholeheartedly accept that or the people wholeheartedly reject it. But either way, it's whole, wholehearted response. Verse 48 says, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed 
for eternal life believed. And then verse 50 says, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. What we see is a mixed reaction. One group wanted more uh, uh, on the following Sabbath. Others followed Paul and Barnabas, not just physically, but spiritually. Almost the whole town assembled to hear the good news of Jesus, an essential message for both Jews and Gentiles. That means everybody, uh, an important message for everybody. Yet when the Jews, they saw the crowds, they saw the popularity, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying. It's sad, actually, that the people who knew God's word the best, they, they should have known better, are the people who become set against the gospel. Isn't that something? And so this drives Paul and Barnabas deeper into the calling to preach the good news to the world around them. In fact, they, they declare, Paul and Barnabas declare in, th- in verse 46, we are turning to the Gentiles. This word will get out. The message will be shared. The good news of Jesus is too good to keep it to ourselves. And so in doing that, they fulfill the calling given to Israel through the prophet Isaiah I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. The proclamation causes the Gentiles to rejoice, to worship and believe. And even as Israel rejects the Messiah, the kingdom of God still grows throughout the world. You know what that reminds me of? Dandelions. (laughs) You know, dandelions. It's a little bit, they're a little bit like the kingdom of God, I believe. It's, it's funny, it's because it's a beautiful flower that you see around, do I have the picture? Yeah, you see around springtime uh, here. It's actually native to Europe. It's kind of a Europe flower, but in North America, it's considered almost a weed, a weed, because it's non-indigenous, meaning it, it is not native to that environment. And so something happens when that dandelion gets over there, it spreads everywhere. It grows everywhere. It doesn't care. It grows in in empty lots and in parking lots. It grows in empty fields, and it grows in the cracks of sidewalks. A dandelion doesn't care where it grows. It will grow in a rich person's mansion. It will grow in a poor person's plot of dirt. They do grow everywhere. It's so funny, actually, to see the things people will do to get rid of those dandelions. And are they successful? No. Because they come back. They emerge. It will blossom in a garden along the side of the road or everywhere. I've always felt that the kingdom of God is like a dandelion. Beautiful and unstoppable. That's what we see in this passage. The message of Jesus spreads into the city and into the region. Some were intrigued and some were enraged. Some believed and some rejected. And the ones who shared it Sometimes they celebrated with joy, and sometimes they endured persecution and had to move on as a result of it. At the end of the passage, we read, Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet as a warning to them and went on to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. That phrase, to shake the dust off one's feet, you've heard that before. It comes from the Bible, actually. And uh, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus actually tells the, the uh, disciples when he sends them off in under mission into the cities, into the towns, that when they are not accepted, to shake the dust off their feet. 
It's symbolism. I mean, it could actually happen literally, but it's really symbolism to imply and to reveal that it is a message of reception. And so when the message of Jesus is given to a group of people and, and, and a person, the deliverer of the message has done what he or she is called to do, then, then he has, or she has done what they're called to do. And the responsibility lies on the one who hears the message. And so in this way, the dust comes off one's feet and the responsibility is passed on to the hearer of the message. It's the same thing that happens today. The message of Jesus is proclaimed. The Holy Spirit works to bring conviction and understanding, and the responsibility goes to the one who hears the message. This is very, very important for us even today because the message of Jesus continues to come to us. You know, it, it doesn't just come once. It continues to come. Even as a follower of Jesus, the message of Jesus continues to come. Aren't you happy about that? Because it comes through, it could come through a sermon. It could come through a Bible study. It could come through a friend. It could come through a devotion time in the morning. It could come through prayer. It's, it's God reaching into our lives through the Holy Spirit, through conviction, at work, calling us closer, changing, molding, shaping our lives. There's so many ways that Jesus reaches into our lives to pull us closer to him. But how you respond is entirely up to you. Jesus says, in this great discourse in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, he describes this reality. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the difference. And we see in Acts chapter 13, Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 7, this is the difference between religion and a living relationship with Jesus. You see, it's easy enough to get confused about religion in our world today because religion is a good package. Think about that. It's a good, it looks good. Religion looks good in our world that values how you look. I mean, it's like our selfies. We don't want bad selfies out there on social media. I mean, I, if you're like in my household, we have to have approval for our selfies. <laughs> if we're going to use something on Facebook or on an email, we better get approval because, let's face it, image is kind of important. We live in a world that is actually obsessed with outward appearance. We're not always concerned about what's inside, but the package better look good, if you know what I mean. In fact, you buy an, an, an Apple iPhone or an iPad or a computer, or Google does it now too. If you buy one of those products, do you know that as much time and energy and research has gone into the packaging as the product excel, itself? Do you know that? This is big business, the whole packaging industry. In fact, it's so funny. If you if you watch on YouTube, you can they have these opening, these unpack, you know what I'm talking about, these uh, unpackaging experiences. You, you get to see the plastic. You get, to, you get to touch the box. You get to see the cord and how it's so neatly wrapped. And you savor the experience of the package. Isn't that crazy? But yet, doesn't that describe the world in which we live? It is so easy 
to buy into the packaging of religion and miss a living relationship with Jesus. Just by going to church, by going to Bible study, it it makes our lives look nice, but it's not God's plan for us. God wants something better. He wants us to be good from the inside out. This is the life and joy uh, and abundance in the kingdom of heaven that Jesus wants for every follower. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells how to be people of substance rather than people of image. He says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. In order to find the life of substance and joy and hope and peace, you have to look for it. We need to know that the Greek word in this passage uh, that's translated into the English word find is a very interesting word. This word find, we we translate into English, find, implies a, a, a brief search, not an exhaustive search. You are not looking for a buried treasure uh, with, with a shipwreck on an island somewhere that requires, you know, a life-changing adventure. No, this word find means to just look around. It's, it would be like like saying, look around in this room and can you find a door? Yeah, right there. Look, Yatek's about ready to escape. He's ready. He's, Yatek has already found the door. That's what it means. You just look and it's there. It's like in a Baptist church looking for food. Is there food? Yeah. We're Baptist church, right? It's right there. I see it. You don't have to look very hard, but you do have to look. That's what this means. Simply by making the effort to look. Seeking and finding are closely related. The implication here is that people do not find because they do not look. It is what you look for in life that makes all the difference. At the beginning of this chapter in Matthew, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you want a close relationship with Jesus, with joy, abundance, and life and hope, you can find it. You can have it. That's the good news of the gospel. But you do have to ask. You do have to seek it. You do have to want it. Because if you don't, there's a danger. If you don't value, if you don't want that deeper life of substance. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And that means it's wide enough to accommodate a lot of travelers. It's, it's, it suggests that there are numbers of people who travel this road because they think it's pretty comfortable. And that's what's so dangerous about it is because it's broad, it's comfortable, it's popular. It is the way to go. When you begin to travel that wide and comfortable road, it can dull your desire for a thriving relationship with Jesus. That's the danger of religion for religious sake. You probably have heard of some of you who study science, uh, a a scientist by the name of Alexander Fleming. 
Uh, he was known and instrumental in the development of penicillin, which has become a great way to, to fight infections. Uh, but even when they introduced this drug, uh, they knew back then that there was a danger in only taking part of the dose. If you didn't finish the whole experience, the whole dosage, you would become, you would actually become immune to the help to the drug itself, to the good thing. Your body would, would have an immunity to penicillin, you, and it would, would work against you in the long run. In fact, it would be more dangerous to only take part of it. Do you know the same thing is true in the spiritual realm of religion? Is that when you begin to get religious or you start going to church, you only accept part of it. You, you be, can become immune to the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is, is calling you, when he is prompting you at work, if, if you get into the habit of just being in church, of just being religious, you can miss it. And that's the danger. This kind of religion is why Jesus says to watch out for false prophets. That's what he's talking about. The religious world. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. The kind of, of fruit that Jesus talks about is, is not the kind that looks good on the outside. It's the kind of fruit that looks good on the inside. You know the difference. If you've ever done shopping for fruit, this is a really big deal. Because sometimes fruit can look good on the outside, and on the inside is not good. I love, I love avocados. Uh, in fact, I, I love to have them for breakfast. I'm a pretty simple guy when it comes to breakfast because I will eat eggs or I will eat eggs. It's really pretty easy to guess. And occasionally I will splurge and I will not only have eggs, I will have eggs with avocado. Yeah, my wife will, she fixes this for me uh, occasionally. And we've, we've discovered that you can go to the store and you can buy the most beautiful looking avocado. And, and you are ready for that. You wake up that, I wake up that morning and I think today's going to be extravagant. I am not only going to have eggs, I'm going to have eggs and avocado. My life is pretty exciting, really. Eggs and avocado. And we cut into that avocado. I, my, I'm so excited, anticipating the great avocado. And you know what I get? bad avocado. It changes everything. I'm so disappointed. You know, there's a difference between fruit that looks good on the outside and fruit that is good on the inside. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Every person needs to look at the spiritual fruit in your lives. This is where we take a spiritual selfie. You knew this was coming. Uh, we took our, our physical selfies. Now we're going to take a, a spiritual selfie. How do you do that anyways? I don't know. Actually, there's a way to do that. <laughs> you begin to ask yourself these questions. Do I treat others with love? Do I have a sense of joy about life? Am I hopeful about the future? Am I patient when things don't go my way? Are you faithful to God, to your word, to your spouse? When things don't go your way, do you practice self-control? If you look into your life, you won't have to look very far to see the fruit. And if you see fruit that's maybe not so good, some bad fruit, you need to go to the Lord. And you need to say, Lord, the substance of my life isn't what it should be. Take away the anger, fill my heart with love. Take away the bitterness, fill my heart with joy. Take away the inner storm and fill my heart with peace. 
take away everything about me that isn't like Jesus. And God will work. God will be faithful to that prayer. And he will begin working in your life. And it will lead to transformation. Maybe a little uncomfortable, but it's good. Because God is the God of transformation. If you ever wonder, by the way, how you're doing in your life, you can ask other people. Ask, ask someone who knows you. Ask a family member. They will know. Ask uh, someone in your Bible study group who can be honest with you. Ask a spouse. Certainly, they will tell you. They'll give a few pointers. Is your life drawing others to Jesus authentically and hopefully? Tony Campalo shares a story about a man named Joe. Joe was uh, converted in a in an inner city mission and uh, was an amazing guy. But before his conversion, he was known as one of the most selfful, selfish people ever. He was ruthlessly focused on himself. He wouldn't do anything for anybody. But when he met Jesus, everything about his life changed. He became exactly the opposite. Joe became the most selfless person anybody in that community had ever seen. And so Joe would volunteer at the mission, the inner city mission. He would go and, and he, would, he would do the things nobody wanted to do. When the men, this is for uh, inner city mission for men, uh, homeless men, a lot of them, they would come in and they would, some of them were on, on, sick on alcohol or drugs and they would, they would vomit on the floors and, and Joe would be there to clean it up. And when they, they would go, these men, they would go to the toilets and then, well, they'd make a mess. And, and Joe would be the one to clean it up. And, and Joe was, was the guy who always had a positive attitude. He, he, his joyful spirit was, was contagious. It's so much so that everybody fell in love with Joe. And so one night, the, the director of the mission is, is preaching the, the good news of Jesus. And he gives an opportunity for people to respond. And one man, he hears that message. And he starts to come forward. And he walks down the aisle. The, the music is playing. And he's, he's saying, Lord, Lord, make me like Joe. Lord, make me like Joe. And, and the director says, son, shouldn't you say, make me like Jesus? And the man says, I don't know Jesus so well, but I know Joe. You see, Joe was living a life that drew people to Jesus. Joe had good fruit. If you are planted in Christ, you will grow and you will take on the image of Christ. They will know you by your fruit. Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, on that day will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some uh, will be part of the community. Some will do great things. Some will demonstrate charismatic experiences and religious work. But Jesus never emphasizes the external as a sign of authenticity. Instead, he wants us to look at the inside of our lives and to choose wholeheartedly to follow Jesus. Because we only can choose one or the other. We only choose wholeheartedly to follow Jesus or wholeheartedly we perhaps unintentionally reject him. Life is full of choices. You know that. I, and today, even it's still morning, you have made perhaps hundreds of choices already. Uh, what will I wear today? Which path will I go to Bethlehem? What will I have for breakfast? If it's, if it's me, it's an easy choice. I'm having eggs. <laughs> There are choices. 
What about your car? What will you do today? More importantly, what kind of attitude will you have? How will you think about people, your experience? How will you hear the work of the Holy Spirit today? All these choices. And in theory, we like having choices, don't we? We love having choices. Sometimes we don't always want to make choices, but we love having the opportunity to have choices. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, you must absolutely must make choices. Every day, every moment, choices must be made about where to focus our energies, our time, our behavior. Making a decision to do something closes out the possibilities of other things. And this is where it gets challenging. When we say yes to something, we say no to something else. That's why we don't always like to make decisions because it closes out the possibilities. But spiritually, we can't afford not to. Spiritually, we have to make the decision to follow Jesus on the narrow road, or else the decision is already made to follow Jesus on the, to follow the crowd on the broad road. And that's not Jesus. Are we willing to pick up the cross and follow Jesus? Are we willing? to choose Jesus every day, every moment, and every way. Will you enter the gate to the kingdom of heaven that is narrow and embark on the life of following Jesus? Or will you unintentionally reject him for the popular road that leads to destruction? Will you allow his work of transformation to produce good fruit in your lives? Or will you let the voices of this world that promise you life but take you to the fires of hell prevail? Jesus wants to be your Savior and Lord each and every day. Most of us like the idea of Jesus being our Savior we want to be saved. We know we need to be saved. This world is a broken place. We wholeheartedly accept that Jesus is our salvation. But you know what? He also wants to be not only Savior, but Lord. We say Lord and Savior. And to be quite honest, it's a little more difficult to follow Jesus as Lord than it is as Savior. Because to follow Jesus as Lord means that every day we make the choice to follow him. It means that our life is in transformation process of being aligned to the way of Jesus. It means that the fruit of Jesus, the look of Jesus is being made in us each and every day. And that is the narrow way that Jesus encourages us to take. That is how we receive the good news of Jesus. Not just once, but in every opportunity, in every way to continually accept the news of Jesus' resurrection over death and his promise for life. It is summed up in a word that someone wrote about Mother Teresa. If you know about her, she was an incredible witness to the Christian faith in a very difficult place in India. The person said of her that she first gave her life to Christ, and then through Christ, she gave her her life to others. And then... That was the end of her biography, but the beginning of her life. Wouldn't you like that to be said about you? I would love that to be said about me. He first gave his life to Christ, and then through Christ, he gave his life to others. May it be for each one of us to first give our lives to Christ, and then through Christ, 
to give our lives to his work, his way, his mission in this world around us. May you choose to follow Jesus each and every day of your life. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that even here, even now, you are calling us, you are prompting us. The Holy Spirit is here at work, drawing us close to you. And we pray that, that our response would be favorable, that we would choose you as Lord of life. We would choose that narrow road. We would choose to wholeheartedly accept the news of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and that, that in our choice, close out every other possibility, knowing that you and you alone is all that we need. Lord, give us strength. Give us encouragement. Help us to know the joy and faith and life you promise. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.